Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Say Who Say Pod. He is Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. The Washington Huskies are seven and two, Danny, which I'm not sure a lot of people would have forecast after a 24 to 21 win over Oregon State uh, on Saturday night. No, that was on Friday night. Silly me. Um, it it seemed like a game they were going to lose for most of the first half. Is that fair to say? Is that, yeah, that kind of how you looked, saw it? It looked it looked terrible, Christian. Like. It started with the first drive, right? Where you're like, "Oh God!" Like it's tissue paper. Like the defense, they're just they're just going to get mauled. And then they they show some backbone, right? But they're 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 dodging bullets because Oregon State's getting the ball down in there, and you're like, "Oh my God!" Like, okay, great. Like they bought themselves some time here, a stay of execution, but they're going to need to start scoring because they can't stop them at all. And then the offense got a little better in the second half, but it wasn't a buzzsaw. Uh, Penix, Penix was really impressive. Like, I was really impressed with the way that he rebounded and kind of stabilized. But the story of this game was that defense, the defense played legitimately well. And, and I know that Oregon State has some limitations and can't really throw the ball. But, like, they became better over the course of the game. It, it's their best win of the year. Yeah, I thought the adjustments they made against the run, it was probably the, um, well, I mean, definitely the the most you'd seen the defense improve and adjust over the course of an individual game, right? Because like you mentioned, on the first series, really the first series or two, they were getting whatever they wanted on the ground. And they were doing it between the tackles. They were rotating different backs in there. Damian Martinez looked like he was on his way to a really big game, and he did have a good game. Um, the passing game probably wasn't going to be there for them regardless. So like, I think that probably, you know, that, that played into a to Washington's hands and probably made the strategy a little bit easier. But I know Kalen DeBoer talked on Monday about kind of knowing what their adjustments were going to be. They talked about ahead of time of, you know, okay, so if, if it looks like this, then we're going to do this type of thing. And, you know, they took, they took Dom Hampton off the field every now and then, you know, took the nickel off the field to get an extra defensive lineman in there. I thought Tuli Latuli Nasanoa played his best game. You know, he was, he was finally kind of what they've been waiting for up front, that that game-wrecking defensive lineman who, yeah, I mean, I think he had four tackles and did have half a tackle for loss, but he was occupying blocks, and he was he was knocking guys backward. He was making it hard for them to to kind of establish the line of scrimmage. So I thought it was, uh, it was the best game of the year for the D-line, at least after the, those first couple series. And, you know, with the wind and with backup quarterback situation for Oregon State and everything, I, they were um, – their secondary, I think, wasn't going to be a huge factor in this game, which for Washington is kind of what you want with with the way that they've played this year. But yeah, their defense stepped up, and then this is two games in a row where Michael Penix really kind of had to take what was given to him, and I think did mostly a good job. Obviously, you know, had the one huge mistake trying to force a ball where tough. yeah, there was just no room for it, and that was a bad throw. But he bounced Do you back. Think he and, saw the defender. So I my immediate analysis was there's no way um mm-hmm. but talking to him after and talking to ryan grubb yesterday or on, on monday it sounds like he did i think he just it's the end of the half they'd gotten the ball back after a nice stop it's tied they got a chance to go down you know, they've been so good at the end of the first half right going down and getting a score before halftime this year i think he just wanted to make something happen and oregon state's too good and that linebacker made it made a nice play on it and uh, did I think that yeah. was a rare, a rare, just bad mistake on his part? Yeah, it was. It was hard to tell. Where I was like, did he, did he think? Because I'm trying to put myself and understand the wind, right? 
it, like the wind is is playing a huge factor. Um, and did did he just kind of miscalibrate like how much how much he needed to put air under the ball? He tried to throw it like to keep it low. Like there's some sort of like he's making a mental adjustment, and it came out differently than than he expected. Um, or if he just didn't see him, which would have been possible. The the backer made a great play, um, but yeah, I I thought I thought Penix kind of not being rattled by that the the fact that it didn't look like it carried over after that mistake he didn't let that sort of make him tentative and those are difficult conditions and 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 I would say if there's one thing we've talked a little bit about his pro prospects that game probably did more than any other this season to sort of display his his upside to NFL teams because of the strength of his arm. I, I thought that came out pretty clearly. I, I thought you saw you saw that he can he can really fling the ball. And even in a terrible environment, like he he was able to still move the ball downfield and got more effective as the game went on doing that. Yeah, I and I think the the biggest difference between last year's team and this year's team, like if you're just looking for a you know, a, a small encapsulated version of it. It's that when they take the field in a tie game with 433 left at their own three-yard line, you actually feel like they've they've got a good chance to put together a drive to go get points to win the game. Whereas last year, there was, there was no point where you would have felt like that was something that they were going to get done or that they were capable of getting done. Whereas what they've, <laughs> what, what they've put on the field this year actually leads you to believe that like, oh, like this is... This is a position that like you should want Washington to be in, you know, like if you if the, if someone told you before kickoff, hey, they're going to have the ball with four and a half minutes left in a tie game at their own three yard line. Like you would maybe kind of take that and say, OK, like that sounds like a position from which Washington might actually be able to win a football game. It's funny that you should mention sort of getting the ball at the end of the game and having a chance to win it and feeling pretty good because I, I did I did feel pretty good when Washington got the ball. I, I did. I did feel it's not like I was like, oh man, this is set up in there. But like, give me the the option of of whether Washington's trying to hold a, a lead with that amount of time left or trying to gain the lead. Give me them having the ball and a chance to take the lead. I, I I thought I thought it set up pretty well, but I flashed back to last year where Washington was behind and got one final chance against Oregon this week's <laughs> opponent, and it was it was the death knell of of Jimmy Lake. Like I'm, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure if he survives if that's like a normal final possession where they gain like two first downs and then and then go for it on fourth down and don't get it and Oregon runs out the clock. Like I, it's still like he'd hit he'd hit the player in the helmet. There'd been the academically prowess. There there were problems already. However, <laughs> <laughs> like everything being brought to a head because I know my feeling leaving Husky Stadium after the Oregon loss last year. And and I believe that yeah I did. I went directly to a red eye flight after that. Like I went oh. and picked up my bags from one of those like uh, like panel truck bag check things and went directly to the airport to take a red eye flight back to New York. Was I hate Jimmy Lake? <laughs> like it was you idiot. Like not only did you say the stupid stuff about academically prowess, which was just just so dumb, but. You decided, like that, you wanted to avoid the embarrassment of of them of Oregon scoring attack on touchdown 
rather than actually playing the, the slim chance that you had to still pull that game out. Like you, you went for pride, like to, to save face and were rewarded appropriately with abject humiliation of having that, that punt, the snap sail over the punter's head like that. We deserved that usually. And I have some experience with this when Oregon beats Washington, I leave furious at duck fans. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm I really resentful. Like an, I'm an angry fan. And on that one, it switched to self-hatred. And there's even a little bit of that that is carried over to this season and this week's game. Like, I, I don't think I've fully recovered from feeling that, like, we deserved to lose in the most humiliating way possible last year because of the idiot coach. What, would, uh, what do you think the percent chances would have been if that third and five throw to Devin Culp is incomplete? They don't convert that. Their first third down on that possession on Friday. And they got a punt with whatever it would have been, three-something, into the win, back to to Oregon State. Because I almost, like, I was thinking about it at the time. Like, man, I, I think you trust your, you know, you can't do it, obviously. You would never you would never go for it there from your can't own eight-yard line. But I did kind of think, like, I wonder if their odds of converting a fourth and five here would be better than holding Oregon State without any points at all with the wind you're punting from your own end zone i mean like they you know washington's coaches were were pretty frank about like hey you know they they really 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 you know did not want to give the ball back to oregon state like that would have put them in a really tough spot now oregon state's kicking game hasn't been great this year even with the wind you know how close do they need to get to feel great about tacking on three points but um that I mean that that was a huge play right there just to get out of the shadow of their own end zone and, yes, eliminate any chances of a, a snap being fired back into the zone over the, uh, over the seats there. Uh, I would have said if Washington has to punt there, I would have said it's, it's more likely than not it was going to overtime. I, I, I would have said it would have been close. You like would have been confident they get, they, they get a stop. Yeah. Well, I, so it's not just stop, right? It's they would have to kick the field goal if they were in field goal position. Mm-hmm. Like the whole the whole package. Um yeah. Yeah, I think I would have felt pretty good about it because Oregon State's then going to be in a bind. Are they going to throw it? Like are are, are they kind of they kind of have to because if you're Washington you start to load up for that, right? Like of like the one thing thing that we're not going to lose and Washington had been better at stopping the run. Yeah, if they're punting from that spot, I'm I'm saying and that's that's with purple tinted glasses. Like not the the cold-eyed sober version of it because they would have what had to move it 30 yards probably. Well, it depends on if the punter hit it off his knee again. Yeah, I mean or that, that would have been a tough punt. it into Jack Westover's helmet. The wind was really the wind was really going against him. And that would have been Where a, do you think that punt lands? If they punt from there, do you think the punt gets past midfield? I mean if it's if it's an incomplete pass on third and five and the line of scrimmage is the eight yard line. Yeah. Like a 42 yard kick before a return. I mean, that's what you'd need to get to midfield. I don't know. I don't know. You know, they had one earlier in the game that they actually got a decent net off of because it, it hit and rolled and you know, they got a, they got a good bounce. So you never know, but um, that would, it, it would have been a bad. Uh, it would have been a bad situation for sure, especially with the way that their punt game had had been going. 
Um, I'm wondering this, like I'm firmly of the belief that you don't, you don't ever complain about winning a game against a top 25 opponent that you knew was going to be tough, that you got done by putting together a really clutch drive and not letting them get the ball and executing, you know, the way that you wanted to, to pull it out at the end. Like it's a good win. Nobody should be looking at that win going, yeah, but, but was there anything about the way they played that, that made you think they're going to be better equipped to give Oregon a game? Um, yes, in the sense that I think the defense was better, right? They were like, there's, there's a little bit of, I think I know what this offense is and I don't think Friday's game was indicative of how Washington's offense has performed or will be expected to perform. Like, it doesn't make me suddenly think, like, oh, I don't know if this team can put up 30 points. Like, it was, it was a tough environment. Like, that's, that's, that's hard to play in. Um, I, and and Oregon, State's, Oregon State's a good defense. I get, they got really good front. Like, the secondary's really good. Um, so I would say that watching, I felt there was improvement over the defense, so I'm encouraged in that regard. Like, in terms of do I feel better about facing Oregon after having watched that game? I, I, I mean, I don't know if there was, if, if that would be the, if that's the measurement of, like, I still think it's, it's, an, it's an incredibly uphill battle. Like, if I was going to give, like, a win probability for Washington, it's like 25, 25%, 30 if I was putting on my purple tinted glasses. I mean, Washington's been rolling, like, Oregon's been rolling. How many points would Washington have to score, do you think, to win this game? I would think it would have to be in the 40s. I would agree. Like, and they might have to score 50. So, watching their watching their defense play, like, I was, I was encouraged by that. But yeah, did it make me feel better? No, Christian, it didn't. It didn't make me feel better. Are you happy now? <laughs> you happy you dragged me through that whole thing? I just, like, I'm thinking of this from Oregon State's perspective and Jonathan Smith's perspective. And like that, the la- Oregon State's last possession, they have a false start and a delay of game back to back. Yeah, uh, which just killed the drive. I mean, killed the drive. Then they they yes. throw a screen. Uh, Washington defends it well. It's a six yard loss. They got a punt. They'd been moving it before that. They had I think they gained like twenty five yards on four or five rushes. You know, gains of three, eight, eight, three, something like that. Move the chains a couple times it kind of felt like they were marching down for a, a go-ahead score. Um, they got a huge, huge momentum shift. You know, the sack by Jeremiah Martin where he grabs the face mask. You know, that's a huge mm-hmm. play. They immediately turn that into a go-ahead touchdown. Credit to Washington for putting together a, a big response there. But if, if I'm Oregon State, I really leave that game feeling like, man, we had chance after chance after chance and just could not get it done. And, you know, that's the way that the losing team is going to feel after a game that ends 24-21. to 21. It's close. It's decided by a few plays. That's how it goes. That's how, what Jimmy Lake would tell you uh, after last year's game in Corvallis, right? It's the Pac-12. Tough, hard-fought results every single week. Um, the, the thing that you would say, though, because I, I, I agree with all that. Oregon State has the right. But there's that first drive where Oregon State just marches through and it looks like it's going to be like they're going to stomp a mud hole in Washington. And then there's the two drives where people start to say like, Oh, they're going to regret this. They should have taken the points. But look, I, I think those are sound decisions to go for it. Totally agree I'm, with I'm, both of those. 
I am always happy when Washington goes for it. Like I I I I think especially in college, you're better served by going for it. The upside of the touchdown, and then if you don't get it, the benefit of field position. Like I I actually, but Oregon State's chances from then on out, like Washington had the better balance of play over the final three quarters. One of the two Beavs touchdowns comes off of a pick six, which is a really good play, but. I mean, that's not like one of those where you're like, Washington made a mistake and they took full advantage of it. So I've, I'm, I'm very acquainted with games in which Washington like sort of dodges bullets and wins a game it had no business winning. It consistently did that to Cal for about a 20-year stretch. Like this felt like one of those where Washington, Washington overcame some adversity on its own and, and made, a, made a good stand at the end. I, I, I felt good about the way they closed out that game. I... I felt that that was the best closeout that they've had, maybe of any game this season. The the thing with the fourth downs is, if you're Jonathan Smith, you know Kalen DeBoer is going for it in those situations. You know if Washington is facing fourth and shorts in, in, in that part of the field, they're going for it and they're trying to score touchdowns. So I think that puts the pressure on the other coach to make the same decision. I think it's the right decision no matter what. I mean, forget about who you're playing, what they're going to do, how aggressive they are. Like, fourth and one or I think it was fourth and two, maybe the first one where Coletto got stopped, and you're running the ball the way that you are, and you got the offensive line you do, and that's your identity. Like, I, if I'm an Oregon State fan, I, I want to go for that every single time. So, and then, you know, also people say, oh, they left, you know, three or six points out there. Well, in, in the conditions, those were not gimme field goals. You know, a field goal's never a gimme in college, but especially when the wind's blowing like it was. And, you know, if they have six more points... Okay, Washington has four tries to score from the two yard line at the end instead of, you know, just the two and then centering it. And that might not have been enough to win the game anyway. So I got, yeah, I saw, saw Smith taking some criticism for the fourth down stuff. I, I completely disagree. I think that was, those were, those were both the right decision. Um, how, how, uh, how were you feeling when that deep pass from Goldbrinson to Anthony Gould was in the air? I think that was in the third quarter. Where, <laughs> Like did you did yeah. you did you run to the bathroom? Did you like make a sandwich or something? Like that thing was up there forever, and it, it got totally it taken was. by the wind. It did when it when it went up. I was like, oh crap! I mean, he had a receiver has a full step and a half, right? Like he's he's behind him, and and the wind just killed it. Um, yeah, that was that. If if there's one play that I think Oregon State would want to have back, it's that one. But. That comes down to the limitation that Oregon State had. It, they they can't really throw the ball, right? No. I mean, they had one completion of of fifteen or more yards. They had one. I I I think they had three first downs, three passing first downs, and that probably gets into some of the difficulty on fourth down. Is that Washington didn't even have to sort of consider the threat of play action and I don't think is this four years in a row now that Oregon State did not hit triple digit passing against Washington oh, is that true <laughs> I think it is Dude, that's a throw that's a throwback because I do you remember the days when Oregon State was the triple option team no so early 90s everyone has moved away from triple option like everyone like nebraska oklahoma they're not even running it anymore oregon state's still running triple option i think it was like them and army that were still running like legitimate 
triple option wishbone formations. And <laughs> so Oregon State, thankfully, has left that in the past. However, there's a little bit of throwback of like it's somewhat it's somewhat interesting to watch uh, the the historical anachronism sort of come back to life in which Oregon State's got a really good team. They just can't throw the ball. Yeah, and it's it, you wouldn't guess that would be the case under Jonathan Smith. Like you would think they'd be able to find it. You know, this is their backup quarterback. How many teams in the Pac-12 would be excelling with their backup quarterback? But even you know, even with Chance Nolan, they had some issues, right? So I I keep waiting for them to get like a a legit guy in the portal who kind of sees that okay, the head coach is a former quarterback, and you know they they do they still manage to do some things creative offensively like they've still created some explosives this year and you know you maybe you could like you could see the potential like okay if I go in there and and you know now they can really open it up and you can really be balanced and you can do whatever you want and run this wide open offense that is still physical and is still maybe run first but you know everybody has to respect the passing game like I don't know like I just I, I don't think they have like super special skill talent but they got some decent receivers and they had a good tight end before he got hurt. It just seems like there's some pieces there where, you know, I, I don't know how aggressive they've been in the portal, but I, I keep waiting for Jonathan Smith to go get like a really good portal quarterback and kind of change the picture there. I, I would like to acknowledge publicly that I was wrong about uh, Jonathan Smith. Like not that anyone's waiting or caring or keeping track of that, but um, I was, I was overly critical of him when he was Washington's offensive coordinator. Like he's a, he's a solid coach. And like I think most of my criticisms probably should have been directed more at uh, Chris Peterson than at him. But I I kind of I kind of thought he was a dum dum when he was when he was Washington's offensive coordinator, and and I sold him short. He's a good coach. So these are Oregon State's passing totals the last four years. So just tw- look at them up. Twenty nineteen, <laughs> like f- eighty eight yards. It, yeah. Twenty twenty, eighty five yards. Eighty five. <laughs> 2021, a game they won, I, I might add, uh, 48 yards. <laughs> 48 yards passing and they won. <laughs> With a long of 22. So 22 yards on one play and then 26 on 14 other and they won. attempts. And they won that game. And then I think it was 86 on uh, on Friday night, but that included uh, a, a pretty big chunk there on that last kind of desperation play. Uh, I think they're long before that was 12, 12 yards. So it's been a rough go throwing the ball for the Beavs against the Huskies. Um, it's, it's quite, it's quite entertaining. I still just, I think Oregon's got to look at everything Washington's done defensively and feel like they can, they can just do their stuff, run their offense, run it between the tackles. Well, I don't know, man, if, if, uh, if, if truly, uh, I'm, God, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm hesitant. Tuli Lagasanoa? Uh, close. Letuli Nasanoa. Letuli Nasanoa. If, if he plays like he did, he had a tackle in that game in which he was basically like had one arm around the offensive lineman who was blocking him and reached out with his other arm and pulled the, pulled the running back down. Like it was just a grown man play. If if it's the best he's played, he looked really really good. And and I like how Jeremiah Martin's like. I think there's been progress along the defensive line. So 
now that now that you've knocked me off of my high horse of feeling good about things and hey you got a puncher's <laughs> chance like i I'll, yeah man i i'm kind of interested to see if washington can take a little momentum of of what was sustained improvement defending the run against oregon state i just think it's such a it's such a different animal and like you know respect to oregon state's offensive line they're good you know that's a good that's a good running team um and so the fact they were able to make adjustments and slow them down a little bit maybe that is encouraging I just think the fact that Oregon actually has also like a very explosive pass offense and a veteran quarterback who can run and leads the Pac-12 in rushing touchdowns now, by the way, with 13 in nine games. Um, and it's like how creative they've been. Like, I don't know if you saw much of their game against Colorado, but they they threw a touchdown pass to Josh Connerly, who's a tackle, and Bo Nix caught a touchdown pass. And so they just – Kenny Dillingham, it just seems like he's – he seems like he's just having fun calling plays, and they just seem totally dialed in. They know they can do whatever they want. They're one of the best rushing teams in the country in terms of yards per carry. They're one of the most explosive, efficient offenses. Um, I think it's a – I'll say this. I don't think there's any chance Washington wins this game Saturday if they don't win the turnover battle and get a couple takeaways. And yeah, I think if, if you're looking for that puncher's chance glimmer of hope, it's the way that they've they've – rush the passer um now Oregon's only allowed one sack and that's a combination of having a really great offensive line excuse me and a, and a quarterback who's really mobile and can can be evasive so I think the the pressure that they put on him needs to show up not necessarily in getting him on the ground and getting them behind the sticks although obviously that would be that would be optimal but in forcing him to make a, a bad decision that or or two that they can take advantage of get a turnover you know, get a short field, steal a score here or there. Because if if you're talking about just playing them straight up and every every you know, each team gets equal possessions from their own twenty five yard line or whatever, I'm not sure that that's a that's a, a, an opponent that Washington is gonna be able to beat playing that way. Can I root for reversion to the mean? In what way? That Bo Nix <laughs> will be more like what we it. saw in up until the loss to Georgia than what we've seen after the loss to Georgia that like water will find its level. Can I, can I root for reversion to the mean for Bo Nix that Bo Nix goes Bo Nix essentially and reveals himself to have been like the high watermark uh, is, is in his rear view mirror and it's never going to get that good again. You can root for whatever you want. <laughs> the problem there's is absolutely, there's absolutely no evidence that that, that that is what is happening. Right. Like that's, that's like, yeah, you can, you can, you can hope there's, there has been no sign of anything that has occurred since the Georgia game that this is fluky at all. It, it brings up a point though, that like I've been, I've been kind of monitoring all season, which is like just how bad defenses in the PAC 12 have been this year that, you know, we talk about, Oregon. I mean, you'd say probably Oregon State and Wazoo have the two best defenses. Is that fair? Do you think? Yeah, because Utah hasn't been as good as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, now there's a a bunch of different a bunch of different ways to evaluate defensive success. You can look at you can look at EPA. You can look at scoring defense, yards per play. Whatever what do you, you look want. at? I look at all that. Uh, I like so our Max Olson has his own metric that he tracks and, and writes a weekly column called Stop Rate. Um, and I'll read, I'll read the, uh-huh. the definition. It's a basic measurement of success. The percentage of a defense's drives that end in punts, turnovers, or a turnover on downs. 
So you're basically mm-hmm. it's it's the percentage of time a defense is getting off the field, basically. Correct. Um, he led his column today talking about Oregon's defense, and they they rank ninety uh, seventh. No, that's mm-hmm. where Washington ranks. So Oregon ranks a hundred and fifth in this metric. No way, they're worse than Washington. They are. Um, but I've kind of been following it all season. And where would you guess? Who would you guess is the Pac-12 leader in this metric? And where nationally would you would you guess that they rank? So. I feel like this is going to be a trick question because but I'll say like where do they rank nationally I think they're going to be in the 30s. And I feel like but this is based on my reading of your potential trickery here. <laughs> <laughs> I USC and they rank 38th. So it's it's Wazoo. Um, oh, it is Wazoo. Okay. And they are in the top 25 just barely. They're 24. No kidding. Okay. Uh, who's the, who's next? The, so the next highest ranked team is Utah at a tie for 43rd, and then Oregon State at 46th, and those are the only three in the top 50. And you know what that that correlates pretty well with what I think the best defenses in the conference are. Yeah, because so I like stop rate. Like I, I think I think stop rate is a pretty effective way. There are some limitations, but most of that is tied to the the reality that there are so few possessions in a football game compared to a sport like basketball that it's really hard to project like uh, so in in basketball the best measure of efficiency is a version of this it's points per 100 possessions mm-hmm. for an offense or points allowed per 100 possessions which is it's not the same as stop rate but it's closer to stop rate than certainly something like uh something like points per game or field goal percentage because what it what it measures is how often is the opponent's possession resulting in the thing that matters which is points right like yeah. it's it, it it's it's telling you how often a team is able to hold them without scoring from it from a defensive perspective the the challenge can come in football because it not all stops are equal and it doesn't a stop rate doesn't rate the importance of stops and and that can, that can that can skew things like the ability to to get off the field when you've got the opponent in negative in at a disadvantage in terms of field position or the ability to hold an opponent to a field goal when they're in the red zone it treats all of those things as statistical noise as opposed to okay that that actually does it doesn't weight those like they should be, but but I think I think stop rate is certainly way better than points allowed because points allowed doesn't really give you an idea. It it tells you more about the pace a team plays at than how how good they are defensively or offensively. Oregon State also is the Pac-12 leader in defensive EPA per play. EPA um, is a good one too, but they rank 34th nationally in that uh, in in that metric, and there is not another Pac-12 team in the top 50. Yeah, so this that... is just a bad, bad year. So I, I looked that up because Oregon ranks 113th nationally in EPA per play. Uh, Washington ranks 123rd. Uh, which, oh, 
Oh, I thought you were going to say we were ahead of that. No, which is last. You, you sequenced. You sequenced it wrong. The, you uh, sequenced it wrong. I was I was encouraged by the stop right, and I thought you were going to say something like eighty seventh, <laughs> and I was going to be like, "Woo, we got them in both ones. We got a better defense coming in here. It's heads up game." Listen to this though. Oregon is one hundred and thirteen. One hundred twenty third. Stanford is one hundred and eighteenth. <laughs> Colorado is one hundred and twenty second. Washington is one hundred and twenty third. Arizona's got to be down here somewhere. What happened to them? Uh, well, fighting fishes are competent, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. You've got like four teams. Four of the 12 teams in the conference are down in, in, in the hinterlands. Like the, it's not even like to, to call it wackish is an insult to the whack how terrible it is. Yeah. It's, and, you know, the chicken or the egg. Is, is that because the offenses are so good and all these transfer, no, transfer quarterbacks have elevated the. <laughs> Elevated the offensive play. It's true for Washington and for Oregon. They're they're a lot better offensively than they were last year. But um, yeah, Washington now at, at least uh, at least after Oregon played Colorado. <laughs> How about that? Colorado gives up was it forty nine points to Oregon, and they're still ahead of of Washington in, in defensive. So against the pass, it's even worse. Um, Washington ranks one hundred and twenty six nationally. In defensive EPA per pass, also last in the Pac-12, um, Arizona ranks uh, 131st in, in uh, defensive EPA per play allowed. By the way, and that is dead last. So, in legitimate F- question: FBS. What do you think's going on um, across the conference or with Washington? Yeah. Across the conference, no, I think we're I think we're well acquainted with the shortcomings of Washington's defense. <laughs> I feel I feel like we've taken out a two by four and slammed that dead horse for for a good month and a half now. Yeah, although I, I'm looking at I'm looking at this uh, I'm looking at CFP graphs. That's where this this data is coming from. CFPgraphs.com, great site. It looks it like it is a good site. They're still only through week nine, so last week's game is not factored in so we'll have to <laughs> oh, revisit I'm sure Washington that. will rock it up after that yeah um you know i i think it's maybe it's just lack of elite talent coming home to roost right none of these none of these programs having recruited super well like oregon has probably you know by far the most blue chip talent on that side of the ball and but they lost a lot they lost a lot of really good players in the secondary um that's the thing like and Max points this out in his column. They have not been bad. Oregon hasn't in terms of like yards per play, and I think scoring defense. Um, but they can't get off the field on third down. So I that Which that's, usually that usually ties to pass rush. Yeah. Um. So like they, they're gonna have far and away the best DB on the field. On Saturday, that's Christian Gonzalez, the transfer cornerback from Colorado. He just had a huge game against Colorado last week. He had two picks and returned one of them to like the half yard line or something. But glad he got it all out of his system. <laughs> they've recruited like they, you know they've got all they've got all these blue chip guys like you know Noah Sewell was a, a preseason All American at linebacker and Justin Flo was a guy they were really excited about and you know Brandon Dorless is a a, a playmaker on the on the defensive front and um yeah they, they've been pretty good against the run that's the thing like i i i look at you look at the numbers and yeah like oregon has not been great against the pass 
Um, the metrics don't love their defense. They don't get off the field. They're one of the worst teams in the country on third down. Uh, but I, I just I just see the talent that they have, and you know that they're capable of better than that. You know, um, so I yeah. like I I have a hard time saying like, oh, this is definitely a great matchup for Washington because they have a really good, efficient, explosive pass offense, and that's been Oregon's weakness. I just I think the 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 physical matchups are going to be a little tougher than that. Yeah, the part that's puzzling to me about the conference this year is that I don't think it's a particularly strong year for skill position players compared to the conference's pedigree has generally skewed toward toward offense and 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 specifically sort of quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs. Um I I don't feel like this is a particularly strong year in that regard, yet the offensive numbers would indicate like that's so that's the puzzle I have is that I do think talent in the conference is down, but it almost seems to me like that should make it less potent as opposed to more potent. And instead we've seen, we're seeing the same kind of scores and, and that, that part, that part is a little puzzling to me. Where would you guess Washington ranks nationally in uh, scoring offense points per game points per game? 18 so they're 13th um, okay they are fifth in the pac 12 yeah see that's weird man behind the mighty four oregon usc ucla and utah now the that's mighty four coming off of two you know uh, games against cal and oregon state where you probably could have guessed they were going to score fewer points but yeah i mean it does speak to like five of the top, top 13 scoring offenses in the country are in the pac 12 and so I do think there is a little bit of that. Like, look, they added Caleb Williams and they added Michael yeah. Penix Jr. They added Bo Nix. Chip um, Kelly's got it up and running with a with a quarterback who's got a lot of experience in his system. Like, maybe I am. Maybe I am sort of. I, I'm focusing my analysis more on like pro prospect rankings as opposed to how guys are playing because there there is some experience and like the, you do see some potent offenses like yeah. USC, Oregon. Washington's in that. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. The defenses aren't good. Not a, <laughs> no, they're not. Not a defense can, of the defenses. But can can I ask? I meant to ask you this last week. Um, it the the Eastside Catholic kid that's playing at Ohio State. Yeah, JT is, is it Tuamalau? Mm-hmm. Was there any? Sh- what was the story of his recruitment? Did Washington have any shot? Like why 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 did he end up at Ohio State? I think if Chris Peterson had been Washington's coach, they would have had like a a chance, and maybe that's more true for Emeka uh-huh. Egbuka, uh, the other the other five star uh-huh. in that class who also wound up at Ohio State, who's also really 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 good. Yeah, I don't know that either of those guys were ever going to come to Washington. And like I, yeah, I I just I think when you are at that level and Ohio State. You know, Ohio State offers guys, you know, um, Michigan offers guys, Alabama offers guys. Yes. But, like, do they really, really want you? Ohio State really, really wanted both those guys. They were priority recruits for, yeah. for, for Ohio State. I would ask, why wouldn't you go to Ohio State? I, I totally get that. And and I, I, I probably should have prefaced it. Of It's not sort of this sort of, it's an indictment that they left. Sure, like yeah. I, I, I've... 
always felt this way about if if that's where the kid wanted to go or was sort of flattered by that offer, like it would take something, some sort of special attachment. But the the thing that, and maybe this is just still the the, the long tail of the Jimmy Lake influence. I thought he'd be better at recruiting than it turns out he was. Yeah, like he it. it and maybe I'm basing so much of that on the guys he pulled in the secondary that I just assumed he would have that same sort of sway with that he would have that same sort of sway sort of across the roster. And it looks like he really didn't. And in some cases, it, 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 he, was, he, was, he was less effective as a recruiter than Chris Peterson was with the guys they would have really wanted. Yeah, like I, I think... If this current staff were in place for a year or two, like during Emeka Egbuka's recruitment, they would actually have enough to go to him and say, "Look, you know, you can you can be Romo Dunze, you can be yeah. the next thousand yard guy. Look at look at what we do here." Um, Jimmy Lake didn't have that, and like I just, I think if if you're at that level, you know that you can go somewhere where you can compete for a national championship and get developed into an NFL, you know, a, a top NFL draft pick from McBuka's perspective, you're, you're talking about an offense run by John Donovan versus Ohio state. I, you know, that's probably enough said from JT Tui Malau's JT Tui Malau's perspective. You're talking about a program that has put like how many edge rushers in the top 10, top five. They seem to have, like they, they've got a Bosa every other year or whatever. Um, I just, I, I don't know how Washington was going to compete with that, given like the uncertainty around, well, what's the Jimmy Lake era going to look like? And then maybe combined with, yeah, like the energy probably just wasn't there on the recruiting trail. And, you know, I think that was kind of a harbinger for what was going to come as, as far as, you know, Jen Cohen's evaluation of the program once they were four and five and kind of fracturing. He's smacking, so he's smacking kids on the helmet. <laughs> yeah. God. Okay, thank thank you very much, Christian. I appreciate you indulging my my my, my sideline inquiry. You know, like I, it's just from it's just the way I see it. People disagree, but I think Washington is the kind of team that kind of has to have it rolling to convince a prospect like that to stay home. It's yeah, not like they haven't, you know, like, you know, they weren't a conference championship contender when they got Buda Baker, for example. Um, so that was like Buda really is a great example of how sort of having the right coach in place can make a difference with that kind of prospect. Right? Exactly. So it's not impossible. Right. I just think those two guys especially were at such a different level. Um, yeah. No, know, I get it. Like So it's, coveted it's, and so I just could, literally could have picked their, picked their destination and just came at a, a bad time for Washington, for where they were yeah. at as a program. They, I I don't believe in the people who say it's really an indictment of the, of the program that they didn't get one of those guys. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. It might reflect... The, the fact that the program is not at a position of strength, but it's not an indictment. When was the last time you went to Autzen Stadium for a game? <laughs> and is there uh, a story? <laughs> yeah. God, I don't remember. I'm not sure which year it was, though. 2000. God, is it 2000? Five. So I was definitely there in 2000. That's the Rose Bowl season where their only loss was there. That's right. So I was definitely there that time. And there was one time after that where me and my buddies wore purple jumpsuits. 
Like, and they were actually like white painters coveralls that we dyed with purple Kool-Aid. Um, yeah, so that, I think that's before Tyrone got fired. So he coached, uh, so his, his 2008 is his last year. So he coached four years. <sighs> Let me see if I can look at and figure out which game it was. They were there in 2004. So it might be that one. It, it's hard, Christian, because I was still drinking then. Yeah. <laughs> Understandable. Um, I think that's the last time I went. It sounds like it, it might be that 2004 game. Um, they, got, they got housed, but that, doesn't, that does not narrow, <laughs> narrow it no. down <laughs> yeah, take at your, all. Take your pick. Yeah, the the game that I really wished I had gone to was the Reggie How Good Are You game, which oh, yeah, I think in, is that um, 2002. 2002. Yeah, um, I I really wish I had had gone to that game. Um, God, if I, I I think it's that 2004 game. What was the I last road game you went to? Uh, you, well, I went to the Rose Bowl, um, and then I went and saw them play at UCLA that year. So that's 2018, right? Mm -hmm. Um, have I been to a road game? God, I guess I haven't been to a road game. I was supposed to go to Michigan and then, and then that, that got fouled up because I got fired. (laughs) Uh, it's a minor (laughs) life event. Uh, and I should say that cause they, they offered me the chance to stay. I don't want to be overly flippant about it, but I don't want to seem like I'm like scared of saying that either. Um, yeah. So I guess 2018 UCLA at the Rose bowl. Is it, is it just cause nothing compares to the greatest setting? Is that why <laughs> I've told you, have I told you my new, uh, my new campaign? Like, and I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to put together the most miserable setting in college football and like just take games where like the wind is blowing, <laughs> rain sideways, and like really emphasize because I believe that is an asset to the University of Washington is when that place gets truly miserable, especially when we're playing coddled teams from the South. Um, so, yeah. No, it's not, it's not because of that. It's because of COVID and. And employment changes that I haven't gone to a road game. I'm going to Michigan State next year. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, that's for sure. I might go to, and, and I might go to the Apple Cup this year. So, speaking of the uh, teams from that part of the country, Dan Patrick had a report that was quickly shot down by a, a couple different people, but um, that the, the Pac-12 was kind of on the cusp of announcing San Diego State being added to the conference, and uh, Nicole Auerbach, uh, one of my colleagues at, at the Athletic, tweeted. Um, you know that that was probably not imminent. That you'd hear about a media deal first before any expansion news. I'm still like I'd probably be a little bit surprised at this point, like not based on any inside information or anything. If they didn't expand, and you got to figure if they do expand, like everyone's kind of circled San Diego State as the most likely option, right? So I mean, yes, I, I, I'm kind of expecting it still. At, at some point, even if that Dan Patrick report doesn't doesn't turn out to be one hundred percent accurate as far as the timeline, is there any chance BYU would get invited? I kind of don't think so, and yeah. I mean they're they're headed to the Big Twelve anyway. Oh, are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, they're part of they're part of their 
their uh, their answer to Oklahoma and Texas leaving. So <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing because I'm proposing that it's a solution for UCLA and USC yeah. leaving. <laughs> <laughs> but when you just hear it, it's funny, right? Like, yeah. When you just hear it, well, we lost Oklahoma and Texas, but we're bringing in BYU. Like woohoo! And they just announced their uh, they just announced their media agreement. They kind of they 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 uh, negotiated with their current partners, so they they kind of opted for stability and getting something done rather than going to the open market. So I'm not sure what I've... the like what those four teams signed as far as you know, how locked in they are. But yeah, I would I wouldn't see I wouldn't see any of them as like super viable expansion options. All oh, what the hell? Nothing seems to matter anymore. So so it would be San Diego State. And and Boise State maybe. Yeah, I would I would have a hard time seeing Boise State too. Um, I, I mean, because I don't know. Do you need snooty about the academics, the academically prowess? Yeah, there. I mean, there's the presidents are so insistent on these things that don't have anything to do with football. Um, Idiots. Do you? Do they need two? Does it need to be even? I mean, if you're going to play without divisions and you're not playing everybody anyway, do you need twelve? No, not really, but it seems weird to add just one, especially when it's a party school, right? Like, I feel like there needs to be, like, they need to come up with someone else so not everyone mocks San Diego State for its lack of academically prowess. Are they that? Is it, is it, is it that lacking? I have no idea. I just know that it's known <laughs> as a party school. Hey, I say, I say, uh, welcome that with open arms. Yes, but we got to bring someone else in so they're not the only ones. I know, people have thrown out SMU. No, no, absolutely not. We're not we're not bringing in people who who like throw their oil money around it. It's not because I have anything against cheating. It's because I have something against bringing in teams that know how to cheat better than anybody on the West Coast. They've got they've got the academically prowess, though. If 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 they invite SMU in like here would be the qualifier invite SMU in fine, but then announce that you're going to look the other way on cheating like the Pac-12 like has to get over itself with some of the ridiculous like throwing Washington in the clink and all of the like they have to abandon that if you're going to bring in SMU. That'd be an amazing announcement. It's like the last sentence of the press release. We and will no longer way, be taking eligibility considerations seriously. <laughs> and I'd be like, "Woo, it's about time." Also, we can cheat now. Um <laughs> We've decided to take to, we're gonna, what what is it what did they used to do with pot decriminalize it yeah <laughs> we're, we're going to decriminalize recruiting violence it's not legal per se but oh we are oh, putting I, zero effort into legislating it I, I'd I'd like to make two points before we move on from the the t- topic of expansion. First of all, when a national media member gets something demonstrably wrong, such as this, I believe that there should be a punishment. Like whether it is that person getting kicked in the jimmy or like some sort of public acknowledgement, like put in a dunk tank, like there needs to be some sort of ritualized humiliation and discomfort that that person has to endure. We need to put some stakes on this because otherwise it's going to continue to be this Lord of the Flies type arrangement where all of these jackals run around and just bleat things that don't actually make sense because somebody happened to tell it because they talk to people because they're on TV. So I, that's the first thing. Like Dan Patrick owes us all some some sort of ritualized humiliation. And then the second thing is when treating the announcement of a media rights deal as if it is some sort of accomplishment has got to stop. Like this is this is a business transaction. 
that should not be cheered for or rooted for in any way as like some sort of like, did you see this media rights package that they put together? Like it is, it is the worst. It is the absolute worst and brings out the worst in fans. Like you're cheering for, you're, you're cheering for fat cats agreeing to enrich themselves. That's what you're doing. It's awful. Um, I'm now dismounting my high horse. So you're not gonna you're not gonna count every dollar of the. No, it's just like, do you see the new media rights deal? It's like, why? <laughs> why do I care? Like, honest to God, why do I care? Like, is that, does that give my school more money? Well, eventually, in the long no, like you're you're talking about things about when stuff's going to be on TV three years from now. You don't care that they're going to be able to pay their their fifth administrator like a you know twenty thousand dollars more a year. It is mind-boggling. That doesn't warm. That doesn't warm your heart. No, and the, the the deeper we get into these sort of things, the more mad I'm getting because I'm watching as people start to root for conference business transactions, and I'm like, what in the world does that have to do with the actual experience of rooting for your team? Chris because... Peterson wanted sleep pods. <laughs> what? You're never gonna. You, you're never gonna be able to buy sleep pods for the locker room. Wait, what the hell is a sleep pod? It's like a pod that you sleep in. I think like LSU has them. Wait. Wait, what? Yeah, like uh I think LSU built them a couple of years ago. Um they're Are you being serious? Yeah, go- Google LSU sleep pods and pull up the first the first image that comes up. So it's like a is it is it's it like an individual room? sleeping station in the, in the locker room so that you don't have to you can like take a nap at the facility. This looks like a first-class airplane cabin. It does. Like, it's got higher ceilings. Sleep pods for every player. So this is like, so you don't have to get anybody else's germs on you, or you can get your sleeping pod situated just right? I asked uh, Chris Peterson, I think it was at, I think it was at the, his last media day, his last season. It was in that last year before he resigned, like... Do you have everything you need resource wise? Like, is there some, is there something from like a facilities or, you know, whether it's recruiting expenditure or whatever? Is there a resource that you think could help you guys be better that you don't have? And his answer was basically no. But he did mention he mentioned sleep pods. He thought that like that was something that they were looking at because they, you know, they do all kinds of sports science stuff with how they analyze those things. But um, so, is this? different from the LSU regular locker room I don't or know. is it and cuz it kind of looks like it might just be part of the locker with I, like an additional like it's got the ability to lay down and take a nap in there that's how i like envisioned it when i heard about it um it it actually kind of looks dorky uh but do, doesn't washington already have this isn't it the Suzula graduate reading room you ever taken a nap in there <laughs> i have you know what i I know why it's so popular because it's really cool looking. It's amazing architecture and stuff. I never and because of those high back chairs. Yeah, I never studied in Suzalo. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't study all that much to begin with, but <laughs> so <laughs> um, I did study in Suzalo. Yeah, when you see those when you see those <laughs> those rankings that the schools tout for, yeah, I, I wasn't part of that. <laughs> So I did, I did like Suzlo. Well, sleep pods. Dude, that, and that looks fine. 
that looks like a really weird way to spend money. So I guess if you want your team to have sleep pods, I just I hate that. Like, well, the media rights deal, they've done tremendous work on here. It's like I just I, I, I hate it. I hate it. I think that's pretty clear now. You're I not thinking enough about the Disney executives. <laughs> God. <laughs> I took a one-game lead in our Pac-12 picks. Woo! Four and two. Yeah! Washington. A juggernaut. Washington failed to cover by a single point for the second week in a row. I did think, I did think about that, but then I was like, I'm so happy that they won that game that I don't even care. Wazoo skated by just barely covering the five-point spread. In a fifty-two to seventeen win at Stanford, glad glad I picked the Cougs in that one. Stanford's awful. They are so bad. Well, they, they've got like a safety playing running back now. Is it is it possible Shaw could be in trouble after next season, or is he just never going to get fired? See, I I think I think a couple weeks ago I said I I couldn't see it. It's to the point where I'm I'm am kind of wondering if if they're. At the like, okay, where's this? Where's this all headed? Conversation. Yeah, you know, he, the success he had early in his tenure can buy you a, a lot of goodwill at a place like Stanford. Yeah, a place that doesn't really care about winning. The expectations aren't the same, but man, they—they're awful. I think team lost to them at home. It's not Walt Harris bad, but it's bad. Yeah, it's really bad. Buddy Tevin's bad, not quite, but it's getting there. You losing losing that bad at home to Wazoo, and it's, this is not a bad Wazoo team. But yeesh. They, yeah. it, does it just does it seem like they have an inordinate number of injuries every year? Yeah, it does, and it seems like it comes like their running backs always get hurt. Yeah, and like multiple. Yeah, like that Filkins kid was out too, and it just yeah, yeah. it does seem that way because like Bryce Love came back right, and he had that horrible ankle injury like almost right away. Have no, yeah, they've uh, been cursed for a while. I have no, no speculation or theory as to why that is. Just a, just an observation. Seems like there's just they've always got someone out. Um, your your Colorado Buffaloes uh, five score spread of the week. They are thirty four and a half point underdogs at USC. Give me the buffs. Yeah, that's I'm, too many points. I'm thinking about this. And it's it's a question of like so obviously USC's defense is is not good. They just gave thirty five points to Cal. They've given up more than thirty five or more points in three straight games. So it's the question of is is USC's defense susceptible enough to be? Are they are they still Colorado proof? It that's so many points. Like if they score sixty, they got to hold Colorado to 20, 25. 60s a lot. Yeah, that's just that's too many. That's too many. It's too many points. I could see it easily, but I'm I'm going to take Colorado. Um Wazoo's back home after their convincing win over Stanford uh, against Arizona State. Washington State is a seven a, seven and a half point favorite in this game. I'm going Cougs. So I am too uh, I could see us living to regret this one because ASU is just kind of this weird team this year that hangs around. They've they, kept it close. They didn't cover against UCLA. Um, no, no, but it was what? They lost by two touchdowns, right? Yeah. So I. The they, sun, they give up so many points. Yeah, I know. And, and <laughs> Unless they play Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> 
listen. Here's the scoring averages. So they allow 34. This is Arizona State. Allows 34 to Oklahoma State. Allows 30 to Eastern Michigan. Allows 34 to Utah. Allows 42 to USC. Gives up 38 to Washington in a, in a seven point win. Hold Stanford to 15. <laughs> <laughs> Gives up 34 to Colorado. Gives up 50 to UCLA. <laughs> the, the two teams that haven't scored 30 points against them, the two teams that haven't scored 30 points against them are Northern Arizona and Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> Notre Dame lost to Stanford at home. Are there like are there are there two results in the country this year that are more difficult to reconcile than Notre Dame demolishing Clemson and losing to Stanford in the yeah, same stadium? No. That that's that's the extreme. That's the extreme. Like how does that happen? I still I I, I couldn't believe it when it happened, and I'm I'm still just and yeah, I guess there's something to be said for teams get better and matchups and. Yeah, they lost to Stanford. I, I just looked at it. <laughs> Do you know what I immediately thought when I saw that result last week? Was I was like, yeah, like I know the Pac-12 can't touch um, the SEC or the Big Ten. Like, I mean, it's not even a conversation. I was like, Pac-12 might be better than the ACC. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting. <laughs> I mean, like this this top tier of Oregon, USC, UCLA, and Utah. Like, where you know where does Clemson fit in there if they're playing the same the same schedule? Are they definitely better than all four of those teams? No, they're I not. I don't. I don't they, buy. They, they just they lost are. to Notre Dame. Yeah, they wouldn't beat Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> They'd probably beat Stanford. They'd probably beat Stanford. Uh, the Oregon State is a, a thirteen and a half point favorite at home against the mighty Golden Bears of California. Cal is a tough team. I have not been able to put a finger on them, but they've lost too many games in a row. Beeves. Uh, I think thirteen and a half is too many. I think uh, Jack Plummer is going to have a, a lot harder time moving the ball on Oregon State's defense than than he did against USC, which is a weird sentence to say, um, but it's definitely true. I I just man, after watching that passing game, I know it was windy and everything. I have a hard time seeing the Beavs covering two scores against a team like Cal that can actually play like a little bit of defense. It's not the same Cal defense that you've maybe become accustomed to, but yeah, I'm, I like, I like the bears covering that one. Um, Go beefs. Utah is giving 24 points to the woebegone Stanford Cardinal. Utes. I am not, I'm not placing any faith in Stanford in any way. The remainder of the season. Yeah. Uh, I watched that game and I cannot in good faith bet on that team the week after watching what happened in Palo Alto. Uh, raucous crowd, by the way. Arizona visits UCLA. The Bruins are 19.5-point favorites. Arizona, in the list of awful defenses, like, I mean, we've, we've documented how many bad ones there are. Arizona's really terrible. I think UCLA sees a path to the college football playoff. It's a lot of points. I'm taking UCLA. Yeah, I'm I lay the lumber. It's right in that uh it's in that that danger zone for a backdoor cover late where you know UCLA's got a comfortable like 24 point lead through the whole second half and it's never close and then Arizona tacks one on at the end. So I could I could see I could see that happening, um uh, but I 
yeah, I just think any of the top like four or five teams in the conference this year can basically name their score against Arizona's defense, and UCLA is definitely one of those. So I also uh, I also am going to take the Bruins, which brings us to Washington at Oregon. Uh, Oregon currently a 13.5-point favorite. Not only am I taking the Huskies, I would take the Huskies on the money line in this game. I'm You're so taking confident. them straight up? Yes. Wash, uh, uh, Rick Neuheisel took Washington as a straight-up winner on KJR yesterday. <laughs> that doesn't make me feel any better about this. <laughs> it shouldn't. Dude, how do you feel about Neuheisel? Um, as a prognosticator? As a gambler? No, just in gambler. general. Your general... I think he's a great gambler. Newheisel drives me up a wall, like just I, I, absolutely, I, and and I and, and I say that as a criticism of myself because he is a totally nice guy, and like people that know him really enjoy him. Like, and there's not like I don't think he's got a a mean spirited bone in his body, and he drives me up a wall. See, like I, I I can't listen to him, and and it's not even it's not even related to the exit from Washington. Like that doesn't really bother me it's there's there's he's just got it's like an ounce too much smarm like it's a, it's it's not it's not a lot but it's just a just a touch too much smarm for me to be able to stomach i, I generally enjoy him um i've found yeah, i've talked to him for a couple stories here or there he's always been totally nice dude perfectly pleasant and you know he, he not the type of guy who harbors i think like bitter feelings about any anything that's happened in his career at least no outwardly um, he's kind of he's kind of accountable for it. I totally understand why like Oregon fans despise him. Like, yeah, if, I get that if, too. If that guy is the head coach of the team you hate, like, it's really easy to to not like him. So that's the thing. I should like him because of that. Because Oregon fans hate him. Oh yeah. And it, I mean, goes back even before he was the Washington fan. Is he the <laughs> biggest? Is he the biggest villain of all time in the Washington Oregon rivalry? Either for way. the Ducks, yeah. I, I, I mean, just think in dude. terms of like in terms of <laughs> overall vitriol, I don't know that that Washington has ever hated anybody associated with Oregon the way that Oregon fans hated Rick Neuheisel, and maybe still do. I, I don't know. So, and it goes back. I think there was an Aloha Bowl game. Uh, it was when I, he was at Colorado. Yeah, correct. And they faked a punt late, or was it the Cotton Bowl? Uh it might be the Cotton Bowl. I think you might be right about that. And it was against Bilotti, and they faked a punt late, and he's asked about it, and he said something about what was it that Al Davis used to say? Scoreboard, Scoreboard baby. baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the 96 so, Cotton Bowl that Colorado won 38-6. So they hated him for that. And then in as the Washington-Oregon rivalry is very heated, and Washington is still kind of holding its own, he sent them i'm not sure if it was during the run to the northwest championship though i don't think it was um he sent them like the players all came off the field for washington and then they decided to go back out and dance on the o that so that was uh that was the northwest championship season was it really yeah <laughs> like, 2002 it was that was the worst decision like just in in general like and and, and i love it like i i have no like it was but there's one coach in the country that would allow his team to do that, and it was that dude. Yes. Like that, even Jim Harbaugh, 
even like Jim Harbaugh at his most jerkish wouldn't do that. <laughs> like he he might he might say all sorts of stuff, but want, hey, let's go dance on the O. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, go uh, go go back out there. Go back out there and dance. So I should love him, and he still just drives me nuts. Um, I did see it like that. So I was there as a reporter in 2000. Yeah, I'm, the it, it's in the year they lost. It's the only loss in the Rose Bowl season, two Yasasopo senior season. And as New Heisel was coming off, somebody in a – it was in a – it was in a – did Justin Wilcox have a brother who was a tight end? Josh Wilcox, yeah. It was like – so I think it was somebody wearing a Josh Wilcox jersey. Like, because when you walk out, like when the players and coaches walk out, you basically would go out then to get to the field house through where fans could directly, like there's, there's like small barriers, like a rope that's up there to keep the players out, but the fans are right there. And somebody in a Josh Wilcox journey, jersey just leaned over and like shouted like really loud, scoreboard, bitch! <laughs> like right in New Heisel's ear, and I like watched him like recoil. That was pretty funny. That's a that's a gotcha right there. <laughs> um, and what's funny, like I, New Heisel always has he's he's always had this like good natured vibe about how much Oregon fans hate him. I think he kind of enjoys it. Uh, so I'd be I'd be interested to see him interact with like a group of Oregon fans now, and maybe they could find some uh, some common ground. I've been going back and forth on this one. Uh, because I, I'm very confident um, in picking Oregon straight up. I think most people would be. It's the reason they're a two score favorite. Thirteen and a half also feels like uh, it just uh, feels like a fourth quarter late score. That line's going to be in danger type of thing. Um, I think Oregon is more than capable of that. Like I, I think don't think there's any reason for Oregon to feel like it couldn't score in the upper forties in this game. Um, but Washington's offense has been good enough and, and Oregon's defense has been susceptible enough to the pass. And, and on third down, I am going to take Washington to cover the 13 and a half, um, thought long and hard about, about taking Oregon, but, uh, I think the ducks win straight up. I, I do think the Huskies cover and, and lose by 10 or so in this game. So I will, I will echo your pick, although in, in very different fashion, give me the Huskies straight up. Let's go. Four o'clock kickoff. Not too bad. That's right. Nope. Do you, do I'm you, excited. Do you have it? Do you have any special plans for? Because it's Oregon. You got people. No. Coming so over. I, I'm in a different. I'm in a. I'm in a different mental space than I usually am for the Oregon game. So this is. I've prepared myself for the reality of defeat, and this is where I would say there was a turning point last year, where I was no longer after last year's loss to Oregon. I'm no longer resentful and angry at Oregon fans. Like there's not, I, I'm now, I've maybe accepted the role as an underdog in the series. Like I, I don't, I don't have the same sort of feelings of like teeth grinding rage at being supplanted in the Northwest pecking order. Like it is what it is <laughs> to quote like a <laughs> stupid, nonsensical, vaguely philosophical sounding expression. So Oregon should win this game, and I'm totally prepared for that reality. And if they do score 55 points and Washington loses by 30 in this game, I'll, like Oregon's a better team and they're a better program right now. Um, I, I'm encouraged by the direction under DeBoer. Like I, I, I think I think there are it 
it's pearls. But I, I've kind of given up the. I had so much invested when they finally ended the streak under Peterson and feeling like, okay, now it's going to flip overnight and Washington will go back to being on top. I've now accepted that that will not be the case. So um, I've prepared myself for the likelihood of a defeat while clinging desperately to the hope that I will be insufferable on Monday if they win. It's a it's a measuring stick game and not just in the sense of, you know, okay, we know Oregon's having a a really good year they're a playoff contender and and how do you stack up against this team head to head but it also in the just in the sense that look you know going into this game that there are some obvious deficiencies that your opponent is absolutely equipped to exploit maybe in a way that you know turned out to be the case against ucla and that turned out to be the case against asu a little bit but in a way that like going in everybody knows it Right, whereas you maybe didn't really necessarily quite know it for either of the, the games that they lost earlier in the season. So, you know how how equipped is this coaching staff, offensively and defensively, to prepare for a team that everybody on the outside looking in knows is better than them right now. That was something they did really well at Fresno State last year. They upset UCLA in the Rose Bowl. They took it down to the wire against Oregon in, in Eugene. You know, just last season, very different team, obviously different coaching staff different personnel on both sides of the ball. So you can't really take much from that, but just this sense of like this staff has been able to punch up before and that's what they're going to have to do to keep this game competitive. So I'm interested to, to just kind of see it from that perspective. And also like, and I'm writing about this a little bit today, you know, the Oregon game last year was where everything started to fracture, right? Jimmy Lake fires his offensive coordinator the next day. He gets suspended the day after that. He gets fired a week later. There's an investigation and, <laughs> all this they didn't they didn't win another game and you know the Oregon game last year is a big reason why Kalen DeBoer has this job yes so it, it, it's you- it's kind of a full circle type of game and you know let's let's see how capable this staff is of of punching up and, and game planning for an opponent at the at the power five level is if they punt or if they don't punt and just go for it on fourth down and lose, does the story spell out the same way? I think it probably does. But if if there's not that stupid punt at the end or attempted a punt, does the story go differently for Jimmy Lake? I don't think so. Yeah. Because I, I think people actually like kind of forget about the punt. Oh, really? I'm the only one that holds on to that? No, I mean, everybody remembers. <laughs> but I... It's, I think, it's the thing. There's nothing that has made me more mad as a Husky fan than that decision. Like that's, and it doesn't even come, and that doesn't make any sense because it's not like it ruined something. Like it was already bad, and in in some ways it hastened. Like I should be thankful because it hastened the end of it. There's nothing that has made me more mad at a Husky game ever than that decision. So I forget if it was. I think Bud Withers actually wrote a column after that on his on his website, which he does every now and then, and it, it reminds me how much I miss reading Bud regularly. Bud's great, man. And basically, like defending the decision and saying, like, I, you know, a lot of people didn't like this, God. and that's understandable, <laughs> but this actually was not like the worst decision in the world. I think it was. I think Kevin Pelton too, who covers the NBA for um, ESPN and does a a podcast with his his brother Tristan the Pelton cast on, uh, yeah on on Seattle sports i think i remember him saying that like the the math on it was really close to 50-50 as far as what your best odds were <laughs> going for it that versus punting and getting it back 
So God, I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go crazy on analytics now too. I still that's insane. I, that's, I completely that's asinine. I completely agree with you for what it's worth. I thought that like was the, a terrible, terrible, terrible decision, and that given the way Oregon had run it down their throat all game. Your odds of converting one fourth and ten were significantly better than holding them to a punt, getting the ball back, and then driving for a game time. And then score. driving the length so. of the field, like I, 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 so I get all of the all of the the. It wasn't the worst decision given the circumstances. It was the worst decision. They had the ball. They could have tied the game with a touchdown and a two point conversion, and they punted the ball away, knowing that there was almost no likelihood that they were going to get the ball back with enough time to do anything. It was a terrible decision. Yeah. Um, God, I'm still mad about it. If they like, cover 13 I'm, and I'm a half, still, all be I'm still legitimately mad about it, Christian. Uh, is there. Will you, is there is there a, a result a potential result Saturday and we'll wrap it up here that that would leave you feeling disappointed or unsure in the direction of of the program in year one under Kalen no. DeBoer? No. Nope. They've done too many good things and that offense looks so good. Um, no, there's not. Oregon's Oregon's a really good team and they've they've got it humming right now and. Even if Washington absolutely takes it on the chin and gets smoked, I'm not going to come back thinking anything but positive thoughts about the direction of this program going forward. We're up to 73 five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to everybody who's rated so far. Hell yeah. We'd love you to be the 74th. Uh, Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. It helps people find it. Um, Thanks for listening as always. Enjoy the game Saturday, and we will talk to you next week.